0: Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read, uh, start reading tonight from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. You all know this story. It's the story of David and Goliath. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I go back to this story just to, um, well, you know how the Bible says in one time when the the, uh, Amalekites came against Israel, uh, David's army, when he was not uh, there and took away the goods and the people and all that stuff, It said David faced uh, some real tough times, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. Well, that's what I do with the story of David and Goliath. I don't know why, but it just has something uh, about it that touches my heart and encourages me every time I read it. So I'm going to read it to you. Verse 2, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Everything I've ever been able to ascertain from that, uh, the estimates are anywhere from nine to ten feet tall. Big guy. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him... Then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Betham, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among them for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle, And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn. Next unto him was Abinadab and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed the father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an epoth of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how their brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a a keeper. And took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight. And shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put battle in array. Had put the battle in array, army against army, and David left the carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner and the people answered him again after the former manner. In other words, he keeps asking, what's the reward for the killing this guy? And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for them, for him. And David said unto Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept the father's sheep, his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose again against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that had that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon the armor, and he tried, assayed, meaning tried to go, tried to use it, but he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off from him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves or sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the Give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear for the battle is the lords, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine, and David put in his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it. And smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sharon, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Now this story tells us about David becoming the champion of Israel where's this guy come from? I mean, we read stories of people doing great exploits in, uh, for the Lord or in the name of the Lord, and it's, it's almost like reading Superman comic books because some of the things that take place are just mind-boggling. Here's a teenage boy, maybe 17 years old or so, as it's been uh, speculated, and he defeats the, this 10-foot-tall, to 9-10-foot-tall champion of the Philistines when everybody else in the army, everybody that's got military experience, everybody that's got life experience, older and more mature, stronger, are paralyzed by the words of this Philistine. Where did David come from? Well, the Bible tells us in the thirteenth chapter of First Samuel that Saul grieved the Lord by t- stepping over into Samuel's office and offering a burnt sacrifice, and he Samuel told him by the word of the Lord that he would take the kingdom away from his house although God would have been perfectly willing to establish Saul as the king and his, uh, his family as the, the source of the kings forever. But because he stepped over into Samuel's office and didn't have respect unto God and the way he wanted things to be done, Samuel said that God was going to replace Saul with a man after his own heart. And of course, we know that, that to all of us have heard the phrase that David was a man after God's own heart, but what made him a man after God's own heart? See, folks, in seven, chapter 17, David became the champion of Israel. But champions aren't made on the battlefield. Champions are made in secret. Champions are made in private. Turn back with me to chapter 16. Let's see some things that the Bible says about David. What enabled him to be ready to, to go out against Goliath? If we can understand this and if, the, if these principles hold true for us, then we can face any giant that comes against us just the same way that David did. Now, in chapter, or chapter 16, i I'm sorry, it tells us about how that Samuel was sent down to Jesse's house to anoint the next king. And you remember the story about how when, uh, when he comes down, he tells Jesse, the father of these, uh, these boys, uh, what he's there for, and everybody's kind of nervous about it, because if Saul finds out about what's going on, then he'll surely kill everybody involved. And so Samuel tells Jesse to have his uh, sons come in before him one by one. And the oldest son, Eliab, who we just read about in chapter 17 that was part of the army of Saul, came in. And Samuel said, surely this is the guy. He's just got the look. He looks like a king. But you remember that the Lord spoke to him and said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so he brings all of his sons one by one before him. Abinadab comes next. Shama comes next, and then the others that we don't have names for. And finally, at the end of everybody coming in before him, Jesse said, "Well, which one is it?" Samuel says, "It's none of these. Are you out of sons?" Well, I've got one more. He's out in the field keeping the sheep. And the way that the language expresses the thought, it's a. It's kind of like a. Um, well, it's kind of like a side statement. If you know what I mean by that, he says, well, yeah, I've got one more son, but he's young. He's not anybody you'd be interested in. He's taking care of the sheep. And so Samuel says, well, bring him in. We won't sit down until he comes. And when he comes in, the Bible says he was ruddy. He didn't have the look of a king. He wasn't old enough to be king. But the Lord said to Samuel, this is the one. And so he anoints him. Now, it tells us that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. God's help was departed from him, and Saul apparently knew it, and he was greatly troubled and became depressed and melancholy and so forth. And so one of his servants suggested to him that he bring in a minstrel or somebody that was skillful in playing some kind of musical instrument that his mood might improve. And so Saul said, go send somebody, or Saul says, who can we get? And they, they identified David. Let's start reading in chapter 16, and... Um, uh, let me just back up to verse 15. Uh, verse 16, I mean. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is cunning, a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God, of course evil spirits don't come from God, is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him unto me. Notice verse 18. Verse 18 is really the only thing we know about David. But there's a lot of information in this verse. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, a man of war and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore, Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. Now this is before David, certainly before David uh, uh, faces Goliath and becomes the champion of Israel. And Bethlehem, even even so today, Bethlehem is just a small town village as it was in the time compared to the the bigger cities and so forth. And notice what it says about this young boy named David. First thing it says, he was a cunning player. In other words, he was skillful. Now, let me ask you a question, folks. Have any of you grown up in a small town? I mean, small town. People don't sit around in small towns and think about being king. In a small town like Bethlehem was at the time, the big news of the family or the big news in town, in the village would have been who left the gate open so the cow could get out. It's tough to live in a small town. There's no quick pick on the corner. If you want bread, then somebody's going to have to plant the, the seed for wheat. Wheat. Then they're going to have to grow the wheat. Then they're going to have to harvest the wheat. Then they're going to have to ground it into powder just so you can make the bread. But it said David gave himself to become a cunning player. This speaks to a principle that I think is, is sadly missing in a lot of the church. It was demonstrably missing in the, the armies of Saul. And that is the spirit of excellence. David was out there improving himself. The Jews give give David credit for the invention of twenty seven musical instruments. No wonder he was a psalmist. But here's the question: Why? He's keeping sheep. The sheep keeping job doesn't seem to be one that's envied or or respected by his older brothers. It's probably passed down, handed down from one to the other until they got to david and david's the last one so he's stuck but here david is keeping the sheep and he determines to improve himself now he's not playing so that he can make it to the concert hall someday there's no such thing he's certainly not playing because he wants to come before the king's palace because that was not something that was done He's improving himself because he has a desire on the inside, something on the inside. And, folks, I wish I could give this to other people. I wish there was some way to transfer it to other people, but you can't do it. It's something that a person has to de- determine and develop on their own. You either have a desire to be excellent in everything that you do or you don't. And most of the world doesn't. Most of the world just wants to get by, just wants to do enough to, to say, that's sufficient. That's sufficient. But that's not the kind of guy David was. David was a fellow that kept pushing himself, pushing himself to improve, pushing himself to, to, uh, to excel in whatever he was doing. He could have been out there throwing rocks or chasing birds, but he was developing himself. You know, one of the things, Brother Hagin told me this, but I didn't have the experience in, in life or ministry to really see it at the time that he said it. But Brother Hagan told us this on, on several occasions. He would, he would oftentimes refer to uh, people that were successful in being used by God and successful in ministry and doing something significant for God. He said, very rarely is it the people that have the greatest gift. He said something about it, when somebody has a great gift, something, some type of gift from God that's recognized by other people, They lean back on the gift and they don't seem to have the same drive that other people do to excel. He said, usually it's people with lesser gifts with greatest desire. They're the ones that, that God can use to do great things. David had that spirit of excellence. He had a desire on the inside. It wasn't ambition. It's not ambition. It's a desire to improve yourself. It's a desire to be the best you can be notice the next thing it says about him not only was he a cunning player and these guys knew enough about him to know this i guess word had spread if you walked by the pasture where david was keeping his father's sheep and heard the music or whatever maybe that's how the word spread i don't know how else it would have first of all he was cunning and playing notice the next two things it says he was a mighty valiant man and a man of war these are two things that go together. The word "valiant" means courage or having uh, being courageous. David was a man of courage. Now courage is the willingness to do what it takes to get the job done. We certainly know of David's courage with the lion and the bear. And in my estimation, those experience experiences were the things that prepared him the most. For going out against Goliath. David was used to handling situations that were too hard for him. Enemies that were too big for him. He was used to having success. Enjoying success. In situations that looked too hard for him to handle. Think of all the people that God used. That, uh, and the, the courage that was necessary for them to stand in their place. Think about Noah. Noah. Noah was about a hundred years been building the ark telling everybody, preaching to everybody for a hundred years that there's coming a flood. Don't you know everybody ridiculed him? He's building a boat in the middle of dry land where water has never been. It would have been easy for him to give up. It would have been easy for him to compromise when people were making fun of him. But he had to have the courage to keep going. It's not like God appeared every day to him and said, okay, let's work again today. God did with Noah just like he does with us. He gives us direction and leaves it up to us to complete the work. Think about Moses. Moses had to have a lot of courage, not only courage in the face of the children of Israel, that was a rebellious bunch of people, but he had to have courage in standing before Pharaoh. He had to have courage when he stood at the Red Sea. He said, okay, Father, we've done what you've instructed us to do. What, what now? What's next? Think about Joshua that took over in Moses' place when Moses died. Joshua led him into the promised land. Three different times God said to Joshua, only be strong and have good courage. It takes courage to do what God wants you to do. It doesn't matter what it is. It takes courage to do it. Because anybody and everybody in every circumstance of life will try to talk you out of going forward. But David had the courage to keep going. He could have very easily and justifiably so. When said when the lion and the bear came and got a sheep, he could have said, well, they just got one. We can afford two of these. But he wouldn't do it. His job was to keep the sheep and he was determined that he was going to do so. And so he mustered up the courage. And I'm sure he felt the same way we do when we face impossible odds, dangerous situations. But he mustered up the courage that was necessary to get the job done. And by the time he gets to facing Goliath, it seems to have become a lifestyle for him. Now, the next thing it says, a uh, a man, a valiant man, meaning he was a man of courage. And the next one says he's a man of war. This is a little bit different, meaning... Than being valiant. It doesn't just mean courage. It means a person of principle. David was a man of principle. Now principle can be described perhaps. As your core beliefs. The inward convictions. That you have about right and wrong. Now if there's one thing that's. uh, That's most lacking. In my opinion. In the modern day church. From what David. The example that David gives us. This one is it. It's hard to find people with principles anymore. It's hard to find people that are solid in in their knowledge and their belief or their conviction of right and wrong. Because everybody's trying to get along with everybody else. And you can't do that no matter how hard you try. Or maybe I should say it this way. If you ever succeed in getting along with everybody, then that means you've determined that you don't believe anything or stand for anything that's important. But David wasn't like that. He was a man of principle. When he heard Goliath speak his challenge, notice his response. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? He took it as a personal affront that his God was being challenged. What do you take as a personal affront about the society we live in? Anything? So much of the church is caving to the idea of gay marriage, transgenderism, which the American Psychological Society has identified as insanity, mental illness. But everybody's trying to get along. We don't want to say anything, do anything, or act in any way that will rock the boat. Jesus rocked every boat he was in. It wasn't a matter of tolerance. It was a matter of right and wrong. David was a man of principle. Folks, don't ever go to war with a person of principle because they'll never quit. You can't win because they'll never quit. And in that same respect, if we're a person of a man or a woman of principle, we need to pick our battles very carefully because if it's really a principle, a core belief of yours, You won't give up until you finish. That's what was known of David. Now, let me ask you this. How did Saul's servants know that he was a valiant man and a man of war? It's obvious that Saul had not heard about David uh, delivering the sheep from the lion and the bear. He has to tell him. David doesn't say, wait a minute, I'm sure you've heard of me. I'm the guy. No, he had to tell him. And interestingly enough, in my opinion, is that he convinced Saul. He was so confident of God being with him that he convinced Saul to risk the future of Israel on the 17-year-old boy's shoulders. Now, the army was willing to fight the other Philistines. They were doing that regularly. Every day they'd go out into the valley and... Two armies would fight. But then Goliath would show up and say, wait a minute, this is a waste of time. You send out your champion and let him fight me one-on-one. That's when everybody got scared. And folks, I want you to understand something. The armies of Israel, the entirety of the armies of Israel, we don't know how many there were, but we would assume that there would be a thousand or more. The armies of Israel were paralyzed with fear. Because of what the Philistines champion named Goliath threatened them with. I don't know if you know this or not, but the devil operates the same way today. His words are designed to paralyze you. Now, the devil knew that David had killed the lion and the bear. The devil knows that he's no match for God. But he issues threats anyway. He tells you what he's going to do to you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Knowing full well that you can do anything that you want to about it. It tries to paralyze us with fear. Notice what else it says about David. He was courageous. He was a man of principle. Notice it said he was prudent in matters. The word prudent is interesting because it literally means to conduct oneself. I'm sorry, to control oneself in his mouth or his words and his actions. In other words, David was responsible. He was a responsible person. There's just a few hints dropped in here about the keeping of the sheep. He certainly took that very serious. And even though his brothers made fun of him, the sheep, the flock of sheep that his father had was very valuable to them. That was the the family um, treasure wealth it was a source of income for them so it wasn't just a junk job it was something that somebody needed to take very responsibly take on with responsibility he's responsible for the care of the sheep he's responsible for the feeding of the sheep he's responsible for getting them from one place to another where they could feed well he's responsible for all those things and even when he went to visit his brothers at the uh, to see how the battle was going He left the sheep in the hands of a keeper. He made arrangements for somebody else to take care of things while he was gone. David was responsible. He was a responsible individual. You know, it's so hard nowadays when you're looking to hire people. It's so hard nowadays to find somebody that's responsible, particularly young people. You know the greatest problem, according to the Chamber of Commerce surveys and so forth. You know the greatest problem in business? Theft by employees. Isn't that sad? David was responsible. I believe it goes even further than responsible in his actions or responsible in his job. His words counted, he made sure that they did. Do we we certainly should we're governed by our words, David was governed by his words. The principle of faith has always been the same, Old Testament and New Testament. you'll have what you say. I wonder many times just how real people think that is when you listen to some of the things they say you I, I, often conclude they must not have a clue that their words really count. And with the advent of Facebook and social media, I don't know about you, but I've found out a lot more about people than I want to know. The things I find out about church people and other Christians that I wish I didn't know and wish I'd never seen. David was prudent in matters. That was the next thing that he says. He says that he was a comely person. Now, this has to do with appearance. It indicates that he made himself look as good as he could with what he was working with. Now David was not strikingly handsome. As we said before, the Bible identifies him as ruddy. I guess that means red haired. But he was a comely person. He took care of himself. In other words, he was disciplined. Brother Hagin used to say something that would get get our attention a lot of times. He'd say, you can tell a person's spiritual life by looking at their sock drawer. If a person doesn't take care of what they have, they won't take care of spiritual matters. And folks, there's a lot of truth to that. I, I don't. I won't go so far as to say if your sock drawer is in disarray, your spiritual life is in disarray. We were, uh, when I was at Rainey. I lived across the street from uh, the campus in uh, student housing. And my second year there, um, Brother Hagen, I was already working there for the ministry, and he was looking for me for something. I never did find out what it was. But he was looking for me for something, so he was leaving the campus, so he just drove across the street to where my apartment was. And I never locked the door, didn't want to keep up with the key, didn't have anything to steal anyway, so, you know, leave the door unlocked. It's easier to get in and out that way. And Brother Hagin went into my apartment and checked out my sock drawer (laughs) and used it as a sermon illustration. He would say, you can tell a person's spiritual life by looking at their sock drawer, and then he'd say, and I checked up on Mike Webb's sock drawer. (laughs) That was so embarrassing. Of course, I don't know what he thought he saw. I didn't have two pairs of socks. But David was a disciplined person. He took care of himself. He did what was necessary to present himself in the most presentable way. He had a spirit of excellence about everything he did including his appearance. Look at the last one. It says he was a comely person. The last one's probably easy for us to get. It said, and the Lord is with him. In other words, David was a spiritual person. Most of the Psalms that David wrote came not while he was king but while he was a shepherd boy. The songs that he sang as he played these musical instruments that he, most of them he invented or songs of worship pouring his heart out to God declaring who God was to him his appreciation for the word and so forth and the Lord was with him David was a spiritual person now, I don't mean spiritual like a lot of people talk about today. There seems to be a, a phrase that many people hold on to, and I guess they think it means something. I don't know. But they'll say, I'm not a religious person or I'm not a church-going person, but I'm just a spiritual person. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're a spiritual person, then you're going to care about what God cares about. God cares about church. Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Because it was his custom to do so. But David was a spiritual person. He knew what the presence of God was like. He wrote in many of the Psalms what it was like to be in the secret place of the Most High. Under the shadow of his wings. He found that place of communion, that place of fellowship. But many people never do but he did no wonder God picked him as a man after his own heart now you would think still with the importance of being the leader of the children of Israel as family of God under the old covenant you'd think he was looking for somebody with experience you'd think he'd be looking for somebody looking for somebody that had enough life experience enough age to have a life experience that would serve them well but that didn't seem to matter to God as much as these other things did these character issues were the things that made David a champion. And folks, David was a champion before Goliath ever came out and spoke a word. I think it's wrong thinking on our part to think that we're going to become champions in the middle of a battle. You become champion when you're alone at night, communing with the God. Having fellowship with God and worshiping Him. That's where you become a champion. That's where you find out who you are. David didn't go against Goliath to find out anything about himself. He'd already found that out. And that's what equipped him, in my opinion, to be the one that would convince even the king of Israel, I can do this. He's not bragging. He's just simply stating facts. There was a lion. He took a... Sheep, I took it out of his mouth and had to kill him too. And then there was a bear. He took a sheep, I got it back, had to kill him too. And I found out that God was with me in those times when nobody was around. He could have died in the wilderness from either the lion or the bear and nobody would have known for days. But he found out how much God was with him. I like the part in in the story of David and Goliath where it said, David declares what he's going to do. He says, I'll take your head off today. You come unto me with swords and spears, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He must have known that meant something. He must have found out in his private times and in his personal experiences as a shepherd that the name of the Lord carried some weight. He must have known, must have discovered that the name of the Lord was the key to victory. And it sure proved out in this case, didn't it? He defeated Goliath with a sling and a stone. I think that's the reason why it tells us about the coat of mail that Goliath wore and how big the spear was and the spearhead, how much it weighed and all that kind of stuff. The shield being held by the guy in front of him. Still hadn't figured that out. I believe that's why it tells us that David declared, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord. Well, what about that name? Has it lost any power? Don't you read from the Bible that the name of the Lord is supposed to do the same for you when it's spoken by you and, and relied on and trusted in by you as it did for him? Thank God it does. What threats is the enemy making against you? They're worth just as much as Goliath's to her. They're just as important as the threat Goliath made. Goliath spends 40 days, twice a day, coming out and threatening the children of Israel. We don't have any record or any indication whatsoever that Goliath ever did anything in the battle except show up, say, send me your champion. Doesn't seem to be fighting with the rest of the armies. And David ended his run at 41 days with a sling and a stone. We really should say it this way. He ended Goliath's run after 40 days with the name of the Lord. That name has not lost a bit of its power. In fact, I believe it has more power now than it had then because of the finished work of Jesus. I wonder if God's still looking for people after his own heart, people of character, people of discipline, people that are responsible, people that are courageous and won't back down for anything. I believe he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this example that we have, this story that we have of David of his courage, of his willingness to honor your name and uphold your name before the enemies of Israel. I thank you, Father, that though we may not be facing a Goliath, a nine or a ten foot tall person, the name of the Lord carries the same power and the same weight against the enemy making threats against us. We therefore declare ourselves in the name of the Lord as more than conquerors. Victors in every battle. Healed. Prosperous. Successful. Victorious. In every way whatsoever. Father help us find that secret place that David found. Help us develop the character of nature. Character of spirit. That spirit of excellence, that desire to be everything that Jesus has made us to be in our private lives when nobody's looking, nobody knows. So that we're prepared when the battle comes. David didn't have to go train. He was already trained by his relationship and fellowship with you. Let the same be said of us. Let the same be said of us. In Jesus' name. We love you, Father. We thank you that your word is true. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Not one part of it will ever change, not one part of it can ever be altered. Let us be the men and women of character who reach out and take hold of everything that's ours for your glory, not for ours, but for your glory. We love you, Father. We thank you for being so good to us. We thank you that you've equipped us, empowered us, and set us free from all the work of the enemy. For that cause, we refuse to give up any ground to Satan. Through any of his works. In Jesus' name. Thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you for your mercy. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, the presence of the Lord's here. There's a fog hanging over your head. Whatever you need, just reach out and take hold of it. Oh, we bless you, Lord. We bless you. We magnify your goodness. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Lord, make each one of these people champions in their own right champions against the threats of the enemy they're just threats there's no substance to them there's no reality to them they're just threats we seek to honor you Father we seek to glorify your name glorify the name of Jesus blessed be the name The name that's greater than any other name that there is. Jesus. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. God sees you and me as champions. We should live up to that. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. It's been good to be together. Amen? You're dismissed.